looking at Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, we have a parable Jesus tells, and I would like to read through that with you and then share with you the two points that Jesus makes. A parable, just so we know offhand, a parable is a simple story that teaches a spiritual lesson. It's a simple story that teaches a spiritual lesson. Now, we need to distinguish between a parable, which is a story that is told. Uh, it's a mechanism used using familiar language or familiar constructs or objects that is used in the Bible, and it's used at other times, to illustrate a point to teach a spiritual lesson. So in this particular point, in this particular story, this is not a real incident that took place, but it is a story that Jesus tells to teach people to pray and to pray always. We'll look at that specifically. And this needs to be distinguished from historical narrative. So in the Bible, we have stories like the one in Luke chapter 18, that are made up stories to illustrate a point, to teach a lesson. And then we have other stories in the Bible that are true, that are factual, that are historical, like the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is not a story that was made up to teach a lesson, but it is an actual event that occurred that actually brings about a significant moment in human history, which is the redemption of all sinful people. Anyone that would place their faith in Jesus Christ can be saved because Jesus Christ died on the cross that he didn't deserve and he was resurrected three days later. In this instance, though, we have a parable. And I'd like to read this parable with you. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, before teaching on persistent prayer. The scripture reads in verse 1, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him, saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Now just a a historical note, if you'll jump back to verse 5, what he's saying is this woman is coming to me so frequently, so often, it's, it's in essence giving me a black eye. She's just pounding me with the same request over and over and over. It's as if I'm going to have a black eye if I don't do something about it. So we read in verse 6, And the Lord said, switching from the story now to the teaching, And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Would you join me in a word of prayer? And then we'll jump into the message. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, I know what you have in store for us through the message you've given us. And God, my prayer is that you would now move freely among us and through us, that we, would be, that we would be resolved and yielded listeners, receiving your word, Father, and processing the things that you're teaching us through our hearts and applying it to whatever we are dealing with. God, there are some in this room that come with serious, significant, desperate needs, and there are others that come with an indifferent heart. Lord, not necessarily meaning to be impacted or touched. Lord, whether we come in needing a word or not sure that we want a word, Father, I pray that you would all bring us to the same place. Lord, that you would bring us all to the point of being thankful 
that we've heard a word and being obedient to the instruction you've called us to take. And Lord, would that be just the beginning of the blessing that we have from this teaching and from this sermon. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus says there's two points that I want you to take away. He says there's two things that you ought to learn from this parable, from this simple story. Number one is that you would pray always. We're going to talk about that. And number two, that you wouldn't lose heart. So number one is that we would pray always. What is meant by praying always is that you would pray always. Did you take that away? All right. Did you get that? That was the point. Pray always. But what does it mean to pray? This is one of those complicated things. If you've had children and you've tried to teach them to pray or if you've prayed with them, you might ask them, hey, do you want to pray? And they'll say, well, I don't know how to. And I find that it's not just true among children, but it also carries over into adulthood where we have people that say, I'm just not sure if I understand how to pray. Like I hear pastors praying, I hear men and women praying, like I know the idea of praying, but I'm not sure that I know how to pray. I even want to pray, but I just don't know what that means. There was a survey done a number of years ago that, uh, that surveyed Americans on whether or not they pray, and it found that the majority of Americans believe in prayer. They also found that the majority of the people that believe in prayer in the United States don't even believe in God, which I find interesting that people that don't even believe in God also believe in praying. But it should be true that those of us who do believe in God would be better at practicing prayer than those who don't believe in God. So how do you pray? What do you pray? What does prayer even mean? Well, here's a very specific definition of what prayer is. Prayer is exchanging our will and perspective for God's will and perspective. So very, very simply stated, what is prayer? Prayer is when we go to God and we say, God, this is what I'm seeing and this is what I would like to see happen. Now, will you give me what you're seeing and what you want to happen? It's an exchange. It's an exchange. God, this is what I see. This is what I want to have happen. Now, would you give me what you're seeing from your perspective? And would you give me what your will is for whatever is happening? We look at the parable again and we look at verse Two, where Jesus opens the parable and he says, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God, that means he's prideful, nor respected man, that means that he was arrogant. But there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, Give me justice against my adversary. Give me justice against my adversary. Now there's three components to what is happening here in the praying. And let me share with you these three components. Number one, she's just telling what the situation is. And here's some keys to specific praying. If you need some, some help in this matter, just tell God what the situation is. That's what prayer is. Prayer is coming to God and talking to him about what's going on, having a conversation about what's going on. And, and we just need to talk to God about what's going on. Now, for some of our women who have the amazing ability to use more words than are necessary to describe a situation, you got this. But in the same room, there are some men who don't use enough words to explain what's going on, which results in a number of situations where we have misunderstandings. And if you're in that situation, I just want to tell you, as a listener, but also on behalf of the women in this room, feel free to use more words to explain more fully what you mean before you let us down. 
going to the Lord is to talk to him personally about what's going on in your life. And it means describing what the situation is. Ask yourself when you're praying, God, what, or ask yourself to explain to God, what is the situation that you see? And then tell God what the solution is. In your mind, what do you believe the solution ought to be? Now, let's not misunderstand each other here. I'm not instructing you or preaching that you need to demand that God does what you say. What I'm charging you and asking and inviting you to do is when you pray, go to God and say, God, this is the situation as I see it. And based on my understanding and my perspective, this is what I think would resolve the situation. So lay out for God what you think the right solution might be. And be very specific. God, I see that there's this problem in my work environment. There's a coworker that I think is doing things that aren't right for the company or aren't right for our team. That's not right for our situation. But they're pressing it and they're probably pushing it beyond the bounds of ethical parameters. And so God, my, my understanding of the situation is that somebody needs to call this person out and somebody needs to have a, a very real conversation with them and, and lay out to God, God, this is what I'm seeing. And this is what I think the situation is. This is what I think the solution ought to be. And then do this. Talk to God about what you see him doing. Now, here's what I'm trying to set up for us. I'm trying to set up for us a prayer culture that is specifically praying to God about specific situations so that we can watch God do specific actions. And as a result, we can know we can communicate to God and we can see how our God who hears us responds. So I think one of the problems that we have in praying is we pray so generally that when God responds and acts, we miss one of the primary blessings of prayer, which is having the ability to see God work firsthand in our lives. Because prayer not only leads us to seeing God provide, but it gives us the opportunity to see how God provides so that we can know him in a deeper way and we can trust him in deeper ways the next time we have to pray to him. But unless you're praying specifically to God about specific situations with specific solutions, you don't have an opportunity to see how our God responds in specific ways to teach us who and how he is. So we need to pray specifically. I had a friend that used to teach it this way. He would say, take a notebook. And he demonstrated this to me. And my wife and I practiced it for years. He said, take a notebook, just a, just a regular bound notebook. And on one side, of, uh, open it up. And on one side, write in black ink what your specific prayer need is. Write specifically what your prayer need is. For example, Back when I was uh, just starting ministry and I was a youth minister and Carla and I were married, we were living in New Orleans um, at the seminary and during the week, my wife lived in New Orleans and worked and I would take classes on Tuesdays and Thursdays and then on Mondays and Wednesdays and Fridays, I would travel to preach, usually traveling back to central Mississippi. And so I was a part-time youth minister who also preached on the side, and my wife was living in New Orleans, so we had two households that we were trying to balance on a part-time youth minister's salary. Um, if, just to help you understand, we were broke, very broke, very broke. And so, like, seriously, in one of our prayer journals, like, one of my specific prayers one week was, God... I need to have enough money to put gas in my car to get back to my wife. 
We're not talking about big prayers. I'm talking about simple, like, God, I don't have enough gas. I don't have enough money to put fuel in my vehicle. It was a Wednesday night that we specifically prayed this. I finished preaching a, a youth event, and I did not have enough money to put fuel in my car to get back to New Orleans that night. And so I'm praying. I write this in my prayer journal in black ink, and I'm like, God, I need you to provide right now. <laughs> I'm not tomorrow, now. Otherwise, I'm going to be sleeping in my car in the parking lot. Uh, doesn't always happen like this, but a few minutes later, this precious dear woman knocked on my office door. She came in. She said, hey, the WMU was in the church, and we were praying, and the Lord brought you up to our hearts, so we just took up a little love offering. She said, we just want to give you a gift right here. So I wrote on the other side of the page in red ink, because God always responds with something that's fire. And I wrote the lady's name, and I wrote how much she gave me and when she gave it to me. And I thank the Lord for answering that specific prayer in a specific way. And it doesn't always happen like that, but that night it did. And I went to the gas station, and you'll never believe, I had just enough to fill my car up and then to eat some gas station food to get back to my wife. I had enough gas to get home, and I had enough money left over to eat. Pray specifically, God, what's the situation? Pray and ask God to meet the situation with the solution that you think will resolve it. And then watch to see how God will respond. I never in my wildest dreams thought that that woman was going to walk into my office at that moment with that amount of money to get me where I needed to go. But I was able to watch God use people that were out of my sight and out of my mind do something miraculous in my life. And when you pray specifically, you are positioning yourself to see God work and to know him on a better level. God says pray always, but he goes on and he says not just to pray always, but he goes on and he says don't lose heart. This is a second lesson. Number one, pray always. Have conversation with God. Talk to God specifically about the situation and the solution. And then don't lose heart. Don't give up. The word that we could take here and you could jot it into your notes on the bulletin is be persistent. Persistence means to continue on. The woman, the widow in this situation this parable, it says that she continued, she was persistent going to the judge, calling, asking for him to give her justice. And the judge comes to the conclusion, even though he was prideful and didn't fear God and arrogant and didn't have respect for man, he felt like the woman was bothering him to death. And he uses this language. He said, if I don't give her an answer, she's going to beat me down. Translation, she's going to come to me so frequently and so persistently that it's going to give me a black eye. Not from a major whomping, but from a consistent dripping. Have you ever had somebody bug you to death? Don't call their name and stop looking at them. And I don't like that some of y'all are looking at me. <laughs> I'm still too new, but give me a chance. I'll wear you down. Persistence. It means to keep going, to continue, to press on. There's a report from 2010 about a South Korean woman uh, named Cha Sasoon who demonstrated persistence. She was working on 
getting her driver's license. And in South Korea, just like here, we have written tests that are followed by a driving test, a written test to show that you have an understanding of the rules of the road and a driving test to demonstrate that you have the ability to operate a large vehicle on the roads. This woman started taking, uh, she started in April of 2005 taking her test and she finally after five years, finally passed, watch this persistence, she finally passed the written portion of the exam after 950 attempts. Persistence pays off. For her and no one else on the roads in that community, persistence pays off. (laughs) Over a five-year period of time, she took the driving, the written driving exam 950 times times. Now let me say something. I'm going to step to the side because this isn't so much preaching as much as it is just life advice, okay? In the sermon, we're talking about praying persistently, but I'm just going to tell you something as a loving member of this community. If it takes you that many times, just stop. (laughs) Don't. Don't do it. Listen, I'm telling you in the most loving way I know how to. Don't. Keep going. You You need to give up right? Not on life, but you need to give up on the dream of driving because it's just not, you're just not cut out for it. Now we're going to get back to the sermon. It took her 950 attempts to pass the written and oral exam, and then it took her 10 more tries to pass the driving portion of the exam. The conclusion, this is good, the conclusion of the report from 2010 that told about this woman's persistence says she plans to buy a used vehicle. Which is probably the better way to go. In the Bible, we see stories of persistence. Jacob, in the Old Testament, Jacob gets into a wrestling match with the angel of the Lord. And all night long, the scripture says, he holds onto and wrestles with the Lord. And the scripture says that he, would, he refused to let go. He refused to stop until he received a blessing. He was persistent until God blessed him. Job, a famous historical character from the Old Testament, a book of the Bible named after him, tells his story of how he continued to have faith in God despite extreme loss of family and fortune. Jeremiah, another historical character from the Old Testament, was persistent in preaching God's word despite continuous opposition. The Apostle Paul from the New Testament, uh, the famous missionary, when he stopped persecuting Christians and started preaching the Christian message of Jesus Christ, he was persistent in advancing the gospel despite persecution, beatings, and even imprisonment. He continued on. And what Jesus is teaching us is that we should pray specifically, but we should also pray persistently. We should continue in prayer in situations that we're in. We should hold on to God in prayer, talking to him, telling him what we need, what we're going through, and how we think he can bring solution to the problem, and then asking him, God, tell me what you see and how you're working, and then sitting back and watching all the while continuing in prayer. We should take hold of the promises of God and pray them back 
to him, holding on with faith to what God will do and who God is. Just like Job and Jeremiah, despite any continuous opposition or obstacle, but just holding on and pressing forward in prayer without stopping. Or being like Paul, despite persecution, despite beatings, despite imprisonment, we are going to continue praying to God because we know God hears, we know God cares, and we know God is going to answer according to his will. Jesus says, pray persistently. Now, there are some common situations. You might be thinking, well, what's the difference between praying once or twice and praying persistently? There's some common situations that demand persistent praying. Let me share some of these with you. One of these situations is, could be defined as developing situations. Some situations that we face require persistent prayer because they're developing or they're progressing, uh, they're progressing situations. So here's an example. An example would be the pastor search process here at Lone Oak First Baptist Church. Uh, we had um, Brother Dan last year began announcing his retirement and then we formed a pastor search committee here at Lone Oak First Baptist Church, and they organized and they began praying for God to provide for the church, provide them wisdom, provide them guidance, and ultimately to provide a pastor. And they made the commitment that every day at 1.10 p.m. that they were going to pray for the process and for the prospective pastor and for all that was involved in that. And many of you guys participated in that prayer. You have alarms that went off at 1.10 every single day. Some of you still have alarms that are going off because you continue to pray. This is an example of persistently praying every single day. And let me just say, on behalf of my family, thank you for praying. Thank you for praying because God provided in the most miraculous way for us to come and to be a part of this incredible family called Lone Oak First Baptist Church. And God provided for the church all during the interim period. So persistent prayer. Another example of developing prayer is our building program. I don't know if you've noticed, but I notice every day I drive in, we're in the midst of a building program. We're, we've got quite a few less parking spots because there's this big fence hanging on out there. and We've got all this construction taking place. We're in a building program because we want to see, uh, we want to see the, the facilities that we have improved and put into a good condition as well as expanded. And in some phases of this building program, we're going to take buildings down and reconstruct them with better buildings that facilitate opportunities for us to pass the torch to the next generation so that they can be discipled and trained up to be gospel witnesses in their generation and then pass the torch again. We are finishing up, I think, we're finishing up phase zero, and then we're talking about and strategizing on how we move into phase one, which will be the next phase. And I'm not going to share all the details with you because I don't know them. I just don't know. I just know this is what we're doing. But one thing that I do know is that in order for us to effectively and responsibly move from phase zero, which is coming to completion pretty soon, into phase one, which is going to be very substantial, we need to, we need to come together and we need to raise $6 million. Right? Some, some of you hear $6 million and you're like, that is a lot of money. To which I'd say we need to be persistent in prayer. This is a continual ongoing prayer matter where we pray, God, 
we know that you are the owner of all things and that you have called us to this project. We didn't make it up in our own minds, but you've called us to deal with our facilities and to pass the torch to the next generation. We don't just see this as something we could do. We see it's something that you've called us that we must do. And so, Lord, we're praying that you that you bring this money together so that we can move forward. And some of you hear $6 million and you're like, I spent that last weekend. (laughs) To which I respond, keep your receipts, take it back, and then give that $6 million. (laughs) And we'll pray about something else. But this requires persistent prayer. It's not just a, a once and done thing, but we need to be praying every week, Lord, how will you bring it about? What do you want me to do to participate? What do you want others to do? How can we seek your provision for this major need? Persistent prayer in a developing situation. Here's another developing situation, and that is raising your children. It requires ongoing prayer. It's not just, Lord, give me children, but Lord, help me to raise up these children or this child that you've given me to be a faithful and fruitful disciple of Jesus Christ. And there are some times in parenting and child rearing where you understand the importance of praying persistently and your children remind you every day, I I need to pray harder. Like I'm either praying or somebody's not gonna make it through this day. But there's other times where where life is busy or life is easy and you forget that it is a regular, ongoing, developing prayer need where I need to pray, God, God, give me the wisdom to raise this child to be a fruitful and faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. Father, give me the wisdom and give me the know-how to pass to them the disciplines and priorities and principles of the faith that will lead to a life of faithfulness and fruitfulness as a follower of Jesus Christ. This is a developing and progressing need. It's not one that happens once and is done, but it's one that continues on and on, persistently praying for our children and the work of raising them up. Another situation that demands persistent prayer is what I call deliverance situations. These are situations where we need God to provide a breakthrough in someone's life, maybe even in our own life, a breakthrough from an addiction or a habit or a hardship that is rampant and holding them down, asking God to give them a breakthrough through the victory that is ours in Jesus Christ. Because we know that Jesus Christ gave us victory on the cross over the sin that is in our life, but we know that victory isn't isolated just to the spiritual sins, but it's also prevalent and powerful in working to bring breakthrough in our physical lives as well. And so we pray for God to give us a breakthrough in our life or breakthrough in the lives of other people. And this isn't just a one-time prayer. How many of you have dealt with addiction either in your life or someone else's life? You understand it requires a practice of persistence, praying for God to bring a breakthrough. But it doesn't just stop when you have a moment of breakthrough, but then it continues to be, God, you've given us breakthrough, praise the Lord. But now, Lord, I need you to carry us through so that the bonds and the temptation to return are loosened and the strength to remain resolved in repentance will grow. It is a prayer persistently praying every day, sometimes moment by moment, that God will deliver once and that he will continue delivering throughout. And there are people, make no mistake about it, there are individuals, some in this room, who are dealing with addictions that you don't know about And we need to be praying them through this journey. God will provide, we're called to pray. 
And there are people that not just have addictions, but there are people in our community, in our city, who have been caught by a false doctrine of alternative lifestyles, both with sexuality and genderism, who need God to bring a breakthrough in their life to release them. And they need people who will come alongside them and say, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to walk with you in prayer through this journey. Because we want God to deliver. We want God to be, and we're going to be there with them through prayer as God shows them once again his design and how that is the best option. There's another uh, situation that demands persistent prayer. One, developing situations. Another are deliverance situations. And then finally is desperate situations. The woman that is told in this parable, she is in a desperate situation. The scripture tells us Jesus pulls this woman's identity. She's a widow, which means that her husband has died and that she is without a provider, a primary provider in that period of time. She's already suffering because she's a widow and she's probably already struggling because she is a widow and she's having to figure out in a masculine society how to make a way for herself There's no indication that there's children that are pouring in and helping her out. It just seems that she's all alone, alone. And there is a man, uh, there's an individual, we don't know if it's a man, that we're told is her adversary, which means she's in a tough spot and there's somebody that is suing her unjustly. So she's already at the end of a rope and someone is trying to ruin her life. There are situations that we face. There are situations that you may be facing that seem absolutely desperate. Like you're already down and out and it seems like someone's taking another shot at you and you say, you know what? This is beyond me. I can't do anything. If God doesn't intervene, I am stuck and ruined. I need to share a story with you from my my life and from my family's life. And I need to share this story with you um, for a couple of reasons. Number one, because it is, uh, it is, it's directly, it's directly connected to persistent prayer and and giving yourselves to praying. But I also need to tell it to you because um, as the pastor of this church, it is, it is formative to my life and my, my wife's life, and it shapes who we are. And you just need to know that this happened in our life and how we, we live by faith now. The year was 2018. We were pastoring a growing church in central Mississippi uh, with people that we loved so dearly. I mean, I mean these people were so fond to us and we were so fond of them and God was doing an amazing work but then he called us midway through 2018 he called us to pick up and to move our family to Oxford Mississippi to pastor another church and we weren't exactly sure why he was doing that because we were things were going great in central Mississippi the church was growing we loved where we were Uh, our oldest son was in a great school our youngest son wasn't in school but he was on his way to being a part of a really good situation but God moved us to North Mississippi And soon after we moved to North Mississippi, Carly and I found out that we were uh, that we were pregnant, expecting a third child. And so we were thinking, God, what are you doing? Like we're excited that that we're pregnant, but we're a little concerned because our our parents were local to where we were in Central Mississippi. We had built-in babysitters and support, Amen. But now we were three and a half hours away. 
So we couldn't just like drop them off on the way to go do something. Which is okay. I'm just saying, if your kids do that to you, it's okay. You know, let them do it a lot. Don't charge them and don't complain. <laughs> Young families, you can thank me later. So we, we, we go to North Mississippi. We find out we're pregnant. And then we go into one of our first appointments soon, very, very soon after moving there. And we walk into uh, to have the baby checked, and the technician gets the little device, and she she's doing the ultrasound on 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 my wife to check the baby. She said, "Okay, I see the baby. Um, the doctor will be in in just a moment." So the doctor comes in, and I remember some of the details of that meeting. The doctor comes in, and the lights are dim, and she grabs a, a box of tissue, and she gets on that little round rolly chair, and she rolls over towards us, and she starts talking in a subdued voice. And nothing about the situation spoke to it being a positive conversation. And some of you have been in that situation before. Maybe different details, but you know the environment. And so she knew who we were. She knew I was a pastor. She knew that we were uh, Christians. She knew that we were uh, now living in North Mississippi, but the appointment was in Central Mississippi, so it was multiple hours away. And so she told us that our daughter... She told us that the baby we were carrying had a condition called hydrocephalus. And that the, the, the hydrocephalus is when the fluid that we all have in our brains builds up to an extreme degree because it has no way, your body doesn't allow it to be released down through your spine, which most of us have fluid in our, our brains, around our brains, and it, it circulates through our body. And so the child that we were carrying had this condition, but it was very extreme. And the result of having an extreme form of hydrocephalus is twofold. Number one, because the fluid builds up on, uh, in your head but has nowhere to go, it compresses the brain. So during those important developmental months in the womb, the brain isn't able to uh, produce, grow, develop, and expand, but the fluid compresses it. And it also, because the fluid can only compress to a certain degree, it eventually expands out and the head doesn't have the ability to form and to shape normally, but it just grows and it grows and it grows until it's just extraordinarily large. And so the doctor tells us, you know, we know that you're a Christian, but really based on how severe this condition is, the best option for you and your family to consider is to abort the baby. And I'll tell you, like, we can stand up in our Christian tribes and our Christian circles and we can hold up our pro-life banners and we can say, we believe in life, we believe in every life, we value life. I'll tell you, it's so much easier to stand up and proclaim that until you're in a moment where you actually have to deal with it. So we, uh, we leave um, pretty distraught. Uh, one of the few times I don't drive home I was just so overwhelmed and, and and confused and tired and hurt and sad that I graciously let my wife drive home for three hours. Couldn't even talk. I mean, what do you do when you get news like that? So we drive home. One of the first medical studies that I read about this condition at this term was a guy out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He had studied 38 families to see how the baby did um, through pregnancy and then delivery, but he couldn't complete his study because all 38 families chose to abort the baby because of how severe the condition was 
and that matched what, what the baby that we were carrying dealt with. And so we went home uh, back to Oxford, Mississippi, and we started praying, and we started inviting people to pray with us. God, we don't know what to do, but we know that you've given us this baby, so we're going to do the only thing we know to do, which is just to let the baby continue to grow and just to pray for you to do something. We chose not to abort. We chose to follow through with the pregnancy, and we asked people to pray, and God gave us a team of thousands of people to pray for us and with us every single day. And every single day we prayed, God, would you deliver this baby from whatever this situation is? Because if you don't work, nobody can work. There's nothing that we can do. And day after day we prayed this prayer. Day after day we prayed this prayer. And month after month we went to doctor's appointments. And can I tell you what we saw? We saw that it was only getting worse. And month after month we'd go to the doctor's appointments. And the the size of her head was increasing, the size of the brain was shrinking, and we finally get to nine months, and before delivery, we find out that this baby's head is, uh, is almost half the weight of, it, of its body, and the brain has been compressed down to where it's only 25% of the size that it's supposed to be at birth. And so we get to the point where Carly is about to have a C-section to deliver this baby and we don't know what we're going to get. Like, will this baby have any quality of life? And there were things that haunted us, like, like we knew it was a little girl, would we ever have the opportunity to play with her hair or ever have the opportunity to enroll her in dance class or would I ever have the ability to walk her down the aisle? I didn't know if any of those things were going to happen, but at that point I was just wondering, would I ever hear a cry? Would I ever see an arm move? Would, would there ever be a baby to celebrate? Or did we just go through all of this just to have our hearts broken? And it seemed like we were praying and praying and praying and God was not hearing us. Which is the best way I could describe this situation because there were times where I felt like God heard us but he just didn't care. Because we were praying, God, this is our situation and this is what we think you can do to solve it. And he wasn't doing it. And you want to talk about persistent prayer? This is the reality of persistent prayers that we pray for long times about real needs. And sometimes it feels like God isn't hearing us or doing anything. But let me tell you that God hears you. He cares about you. And he's answering your prayers in a way that you don't know you need him to right now. But he is going to answer your prayers based on what you need, not just on what you want. On April the 15th, 2009, this is what we saw. We're in Memphis, Tennessee. This is just a couple of hours after my wife Carly... had a little baby girl born by C-section and this is our first time to hold her. What we didn't know months before when we started praying is that God wasn't going to take us out of the situation but that he was going to give us everything we needed in the midst of the situation. He moved us to Oxford, Mississippi and gave us this pregnancy that we weren't sure 
what he was doing or what he was up to, but we soon found out that he moved us from central Mississippi to north Mississippi that put us within an hour of a hospital called Le Bonheur Children's Hospital. And at Le Bonheur Children's Hospital, there was an Italian doctor who just happened to be the world's leading expert on pediatric hydrocephalus, and he just happened to be our doctor. Hold on, hold on, hold on. He moved us from central Mississippi to north Mississippi where he gave us a daughter who had an extreme condition but just happened to have already provided the doctor that we needed to address the issue. And then we found out once we had her, we were going to have to give her a brain surgery. But the problem with the brain surgery which she would have the next day after this picture was taken is that there were no pediatric neurosurgeons who were willing to operate on babies that were under four pounds of size, which her body was, except for one guy named Dr. Clumo, who might I add, just happened to be practicing medicine at Le Bonheur Medical Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee, which was our hospital. And I'm sorry, I forgot to mention, God didn't take us out of the situation, but he provided for us in that situation because Dr. Clumo, not only did he provide surgeries to babies the size of our daughter, but he also had an office five minutes from the house we bought in Oxford, Mississippi. The next day she would have a brain surgery. And she would continue to develop and continue to get better. And that baby's name is Jane Kennedy. And this morning, she is a four-year-old, beautiful, perfect baby that is in the nurseries here at Lone Oak First Baptist Church. You see, God calls us to pray, and he calls us to pray persistently. We may face desperate needs, and God in his sovereignty, his grace, and his goodness may not take us out of the situation, but make no mistake about it, God knows what he's doing, and he is providing for you in the situation so that when you get to the point of being able to look back, you can look back and say, God is God. God is God, and he is working. If you happen to be in this room or hearing this message and you are facing a desperate situation, let me challenge you in the same way that Jesus challenged us. Pray always and don't lose heart. Keep on praying because God knows your situation and he knows the solution that you need. I want to lead us to a time of invitation. Invite our worship team to come forward. And during this invitation, if you're in the worship team, go ahead and make your way forward. If you, if you want to close your Bibles and get ready for the invitation, you can. But during this invitation, I want to invite you to respond in a couple of ways. Number one, if you are in this room and you have uh, been under conviction that you need to receive Jesus as your Savior, if you need to be saved, if you need to trust in Him for the very first time, I want to invite you today to make that decision. Not right now, but in a few moments, we're going to have an invitation song. And when the invitation opens, if you need to make a decision for Jesus for the very first time, I want you to step out of the aisle and make your way to the front, and I'll be available. One of the other ministers will be available. We'd love to talk to you about what it means to be a Christian. Maybe you need to make a decision for baptism, or you want to join the church. You want to talk about what it means to be a part of a faith family that believes in prayer and believes in the truth of God's word and wants to raise up disciples. During the invitation, you can step out of your aisle, make 
the way forward and there will be ministers here at the front. We want to talk to you about what it means to be baptized, what it means to join the church. This would be the perfect time, the perfect day to do it. But maybe you're here. Now, now don't check out, but tune in right now. Maybe you're here and you are facing a situation that you need the power of prayer. I'll tell you, you don't have to pray alone, but you can have people pray with you. Not right now, but in just a moment, we're going to stand to sing a song. And if you need someone to pray with you about a desperate need in your life, I'll be available at the front. There'll be other ministers available at the front. We would like to pray with you, for you, over you, and whatever you're dealing with. And I'll tell you something else that we've been doing and working on. We have, we've been assembling what we're calling the altar team. These are individual men and women who are coming forward during the invitation to help the ministers with the ministry. One of their functions is these men and women will help a minister if someone comes forward to make a decision and we need to record some information, get their name, their phone number to contact them. The minister can hand them off to that person and they can record the information so the minister can be available to receive who's next. But another way that they want to serve is they want to be available to pray with you. And I've recognized this. Maybe you're a woman here today and you need prayer or you want someone to pray with you, but you just need a woman to pray with you. You love the pastors, you love the ministers, but but you just need a woman to pray with you. We're going to have today, and I pray moving forward, we're going to have at least two women down here that we've asked, that we've prepared to receive you. If you need prayer and you just need a lady to pray with you or for you, you make your way down the front and you can find her. You can come to a minister and say, hey, can I have a lady pray with me? We would pray with you and for you and over you. We want to be prepared so that you can respond as the Lord's calling you to. Would you stand where you are? I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. And then our invitation is going to be open for those of you who need to respond, even if it's just coming forward to have someone pray over you. I'm going to invite our ministers to make their way to their spots. If you join me in prayer, and then we'll open the invitation. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for calling us to pray and to pray persistently. Now, Father, during this invitation, I ask God that we would respond obediently to the instruction that your Holy Spirit is giving us. Lord, there are many in this church. We know some of the stories of individuals and families and households that are facing desperate needs and they need to be prayed for. God, they need you to hear their prayers. And Lord, I pray, God, that you would give them a a glimmer of hope, a reassurance that you hear them and that you are providing according to their need. But Lord, whatever decision needs to be made, whatever movement is necessary this morning, we pray, God, that you would give us the courage to follow through in faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The invitation's open.